I'm Douglas Truth. And I've got true dreams. Today's story, Chapter 2, 2025, A Story from the Future. Okay, everybody. When I come to, when I wake up, I mean, I'm disoriented. Like almost every day, pretty much. That slight sense of panic, not knowing where or when you are. But then I look around and it all comes back. I'm on a big flat rock and yesterday a little bird flew into my life. Yeah. There's a pre-dawn glow on the other side of the mountains. Freedom's just another word. I think of what mom might have said, smiling, about yesterday. You had a really big day, didn't you, Doug? Indeed I did. And then those dreams I had about my deck back in Nevada City. So the first thing I do is check my hearing aid to make sure that that dream wasn't true. Hate to be deaf, silence is really unnerving. I turn it on and get that tinny amplified sound, thank God. As far as the rest of the dream, I don't need to check on the birds. I know that part is true. They're all gone now, but I'm not. I'm here on this flat rock that's still warm from yesterday. And it's a new day. I suppose it always is, sure, but for someone like me, it's rarely felt that way, to be honest. But this day, this one here, yeah, this one's new. That little bird. I can't believe the depth of feeling I have for that little bird. It stayed my hand and I gave up everything and now I am free with nothing left to lose. I feel great. Present circumstances taken into consideration, of course. And by that I mean I'm still hungry and sore and thirsty and plum wore out, but those things aside, I feel awesome. I take a long morning swig of water and I break off half of a granola bar. And I sit and wait for the sun to come up. I wake up early, I always have, but more so now. I'm thinking if I had a mattress from Ikea like I used to have, well, I might sleep in a little bit. You know, I've actually had dreams about buying a mattress at Ikea, and then I wake up on the ground. I sip some water and I ruminate some more, if you can call it that. And I guess it's kind of accurate if by ruminate you mean, and I do, kind of what a cow does, which is just kind of observe placidly. Cows don't get real worked up by the beauty of the sunrise or worry about what might happen later that day, and they're just here, chewing except I've got a granola bar instead of a mouthful of hay. I look at one of those Starbucks espresso double shots in my bag and I think about going for it, but I hold off. I was always really good about delaying gratification, at least when it came to stimulant drugs. At the restaurants I worked at, I was always very well known for being able to stretch out a gram of Coke longer than anyone else. So I put my new boots on and climb down off the rock and I stretch a bit and groan and yell, which is what I have to do when I raise my arms up above my head. You know what they say, use it or lose it though. Another gulp of water and then I head on up the road. 
The sun's popping over the tops of the trees and I feel expansive. Yeah, for the first time in ages, expansive. I mean, I feel in the world now in a different way. A sense of belongingness, if I can use such a word, and who's there to stop me, right? Like I belong here, it's my world. Not that I own it, it's just that I belong here. I realize I've never felt that way before, my whole life. That seems a shame, to be honest. So up the road I go, feeling pretty good. Still limping, it's still hot, I still have numerous complaints, but I also hear the rustle of the eucalyptus leaves in the wind, like a comment, or a word, or a personal note to me. I see the long golden lines of sunlight and the shadows on the pavement. It's gorgeous, I note. The wind is not so dirty nor so orange as it was the day before. Perhaps it's just my imagination or my pleasant mood today. Hello, tree, I say. Good morning to you. One of the lines from that song I like so much. If loneliness brought world acclaim, everyone would know my name. Seems especially funny now and in a not sardonic way. Because the real funny thing is that I don't feel lonely. Not at all. Not now that I've been welcomed into the world at large. I belong here. Tree just told me so. Everything is alive. Yeah, it is. The sunlight dances through the branches of the trees and plays about on the broken pavement. Hello, rock. Hello, living beings. Good morning, bush. It's a two-lane country road, white stripe down the middle. Small pines and cedars grow along the fence line, along with the tall and even aristocratic eucalyptus trees. It's cow country, dry grass all the way to the tree line. And then beyond that, trees, so many of them dead, all the way to the ridge beyond. There's a few businesses along the road, a country hair salon, a gas station, small market. I check everything out. In the market with a creaky screen door, I score more peanuts and a special bonus. Cheese and peanut butter crackers. Real special treat. Couple of gallons of water. In the store, there's some paperback books in a squeaky, twirly rack. I think maybe I'll grab one or two to pass the time, but when I take a look at them, they seem worse than ridiculous, even toxic almost. Just meaningless black squiggles on paper. Did I really used to read such things? Did anyone? It's hard to remember or, or believe it. I find some folding paper maps in the gas station. Now there's something useful, something that makes sense to my eyes. I pick up a tote bag with a graphic on the side promoting a harvest festival. With the canvas tote, I can carry a couple of gallons of water. They're heavy, but I know I'll be glad later. I'm walking out on the road again, happy and empty-headed. I pass by some more houses, but I got plenty to carry as it is. So I walk, I rest, I walk, sit on a log, sip water, eat a package of cheese and peanut butter crackers. As I'm passing a ranch house, I notice that there's a bike leaning up against the front porch. I walk up the gravel driveway and check it out. The tires are still good, inflated and hard. It's a girl's bike, a pink Schwinn, probably a 24-inch. And it's got streamers coming out of the handlebars. A white wicker basket in the front and a rack on the back. There's a big pink and white seat with an S in the middle. I think maybe that S means sit here. Now speaking of pink, one of my earliest art shows was called 
the discovery of pink. Because I found out that if you mix some quinacridone red with white, then you get an amazing pink. It was one of my greatest gifts to the art world, I think, and a fond memory to boot. But back to the present moment. This bicycle is obviously the bomb, and it's everything I need right now. I go into the garage and find exactly what I'm looking for, a milk crate and some bungee cords. The water jugs go into the crate, the crate goes on the rack. My pack goes in the front basket and I mount up and I pedal out of the driveway and I fall over immediately. Maybe if I can get up to speed, the gyro effect will work, but even if not, it's great for carrying gear. It's a real load off. So I walk to and up the road with the bike in my hand, the gear stashed, all very comfortable and stylish. I walk another mile or so down the road, trading sides, bike on the left, bike on the right, so I don't get unbalanced. Like Charlton Heston and Ben-Hur when he was a galley slave, remember? Somehow he arranged it so he worked both sides of the boat so he didn't emerge looking like a fiddler crab, all big and strong on one side, withered on the other. Does that have anything to do with this story? I don't think so. Anyway, up ahead on the left, I see an old motor motel, 50 style. Row of one-story rooms, canopy, metal chairs out front, gravel parking lot, office with a carport. The motel sign is the old-fashioned kind, big swoopy metal structure, faded blue paint with neon tubes that spell out the Cedars. I'd guess there's probably a vacancy, but I'm not really ready to turn in for the day. Me and my Schwinn, we're just getting started. That's what I think. I stop in at the motel office anyway, and there might be some good stuff in there. You never know, right? I enter and the door squeals and scrapes over the worn linoleum like it must have done a thousand times over the years, I bet. Inside the office I see a calendar that would seem to indicate that an Indian family had run the place. No surprise there, of course. I used to check into motels while on the road driving across the great American Southwest in my Honda Element. I remember those days so fondly. You know, I don't think I enjoyed anything half as much as driving across the desert. And it was often an Indian family that would run the hotel that I stopped in at. And I would wonder when I rang the bell and the door opens and the guy comes out wiping his mouth and smelling of some really good curry, what their living space looked like back there behind the door. And now I walk around the counter and go back and check it out. I can do that. Being alive these days is kind of like being a ghost or the invisible man. You can do anything you want. No one sees you. There's photos everywhere showing a wonderful and kind-looking Indian family. Candles and pictures and so forth, books and a big TV, and an altar, which looks kind of happy and forlorn at the same time, given the situation. There's a big picture of Ganesh, which I pull off the wall. I can use this, I think. Around the corner in the kitchen, some packages of ground coffee and some black tea and sugar. Those things always go in the bag. Not much else to be taken some cans of coconut milk, a box of Slim Jims, surely for the customers. They're awful, of course, but it's good concentrated food for me. Too bad there aren't any of those boil-in-a-bag Indian dinners. I'm suddenly starving for some good sog paneer or gobi. God, I can almost taste it. I wonder what happened to them, this family. Not their ultimate fate, that's pretty certain. But the road they traveled, how they tried to cope and so on. What did they do? What did they think about it all? 
to being connected to an ancient culture in ways that we Americans mostly are not, did that have an effect? I just see their warm smiles in the photos. The older relatives pictured back in India in front of a modest home. Nice. It's very, very quiet in here. I'm glad there's no bodies around. I leave and the door squeals again. Everything goes in the pack, the pack goes in the basket. The photo of Ganesh goes on the front of the basket with some bulldog clips I find under the counter. And I suddenly think of the beautiful plastic flowers at the altar and I go back inside to grab a bunch. I stick them all around the white wicker basket in front, threading them through the wicker. It looks pretty good, I must say. Now, I can't ride much. I can't keep it straight. and Everything starts to hurt. My butt and my back are not used to this at all. I've got no balance. But still, it's nice. It can carry all my gear. It really is what we called, back in the old motorcycle days of my youth, a sweet ride. Yeah. It's a nice afternoon, not too hot, and I've got a sweet ride. Down the road an hour or so, and that's how I measure things. There's a nice big green tree on the right side of the road, next to what used to be a small creek, but it's still kind of green and cool compared to the surrounding territory. Good place to stop for a bit. I sit with my back to the tree and get a cup of water and a swim gym. And I think about not much at all. And while I'm sipping and chewing, I see something move down on the ground. In a big dried leaf next to my leg, there's an ant. A big one. Crawling here and there, up to the edges of the leaf and then back, like it's not sure what it wants to do. I put my finger down next to the leaf and the ant crawls up the back of my finger to the back of my hand. And then I put my hand on my knee and the ant crawls off, disembarks, you could say and crawls this way and that to the edge of my knee and then back to the other side. I look at it for a while. I say, Howdy, Ant. You know, just like I was talking the trees before, the rocks, the bushes. But the ant stops, turns to me, very deliberately. It's looking me up and down, it seems, and it says very clearly, Hello. Well, a talking ant. Perhaps I've lost it completely. I did say hello to a tree this morning. I'm talking to myself. At least, I think I am. But the ant says, Could be. Definite possibility. What with the way things are. You losing it. I mean to say, that could be. Says the ant. So for real, you are a talking ant. What? The evidence of your senses isn't enough? Asked the ant. And if that's not enough, why then would you believe me? Even if I do exist, I could be lying, couldn't I? To answer your question directly, yes, I am a talking ant, says the ant. Furthermore, the ant asks, have you any water? I'm very thirsty. All day I face the barren waste without a taste of water, says the ant. Well, I sure do have some water, I say, just going along with whatever level of reality we've got going on right now. I see an old bottle cap on the ground a couple feet away. I grab it, shake it out, pour a bit of water in it, and then balance it on my knee next to the ant. The ant pulls itself up to the edge of the cap and looks in, tests the water with a delicate leg or arm, and plunges its whole front end into the water for a moment. Turns its head, looks up, and says, 
thanks, and goes back to drinking. I'm just watching what appears to be a large ant drinking some of my water, and I am not available for commentary at the moment. The ant stops for a second, pulls its head out of the water, turns to me and asks, You got any sugar? I tell the ant I've got half a power bar still in the original wrapper. Would part of that do? Hell yes, says the ant. That would be great. So I spread some crumbs on top of my knee. An ant goes to work, mandibles crunching, antenna quivering, active as all get out. Again, I'm just ruminating here, I think. Keeping up with the action, so to speak. The ant finishes up the crumbs and moves its mandibles and antennae in a way that could be meaningful. So I ask, what's up with you, all alone out here, being an ant? Anyway, I don't run into all that many guys out here, so, you know. Well, first, says the ant, I am a she. All worker ants are female, just so you know. Oh, I say. To your question, what's up with me? Well, I lost my hive, that's what's up with me. One minute I'm in the line, carrying something, keeping busy. I turn my head and they're all gone, every single one of them. And I'm just standing there with my antenna waving around in the air like a dumbass. Maybe they got washed away, maybe they got run over by a truck, I'll never know, says the ant. Rats, that's sad. I know, she says. It looks like you lost your hive too. Yeah, you could say that, I guess. I've been out on my own here for a while. I'm just uh, going up the hill on my new bike, thinking it might be cooler and greener up there. I've really got no particular place to go. What about sugar? The ant asks. What about it? I say. Patiently, like she's talking to a dumbass, the ant says, Where you are going? Is there sugar there? Well, no reason to think there won't be. I think there's sh sure, probably. Would you like to go with and see? That's what I'm getting at, says the ant. Have you got room for me? And all of a sudden I'm reminded of my hitchhiking days back in the 70s. I mean, you could get anywhere back then. Just stick your thumb out and off you go. Did it all the time. Hell yeah, I think I can manage, absolutely. In fact, I can use the company. No doubt there. Me too, says the ant. It's hard to lose your hive, isn't it? What's your name, she asks. Douglas, I say, or Doug, I don't care, either one. Call me Ant, she says. We're all called Ant. Saves a lot of trouble. You know, a million or so ants in a hive, if they all had different names, you understand the problem. Well, I guess I do. How about you ride on my shoulder, I ask Ant, for that is her name. I can hear you better up here, and I think you'll appreciate the view. I believe I will, she says. Thank you a great deal. So Aunt crawls up my arm, piling her way through my long, curly arm hair, and I can hear her mutter about cleaning up this mess or something, which I think is kind of rude, but, you know, it's all right. I really am glad to have another driver on the trip, or even just somebody who's going to ride along. Up the t-shirt she goes, and then she gets arranged on my shoulder. Okay, I say, I guess we're ready to pull out. I get all packed up with the bag in the basket, arrange the flowers a little bit, straighten them up. A nice bike, she says, really. Ganesh, huh? How's that working out for you? I don't know yet, I say. I just, just got the picture, but, you know, come to think of it, I just got the picture and 
Now you show up. So, maybe it's working great. But you guys, just curious, you guys know about Hindus and stuff? You ants? Hive mind, she says. Hive mind. We know all kinds of shit. You would be surprised. That I would be surprised, there's absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. So I mount the Schwinn, being especially careful not to lose my balance because I don't want to make a fool of myself in front of my new friend. But it appears that we've got a slight downhill run for a bit, so I'm going to try riding this beast. I plant my bony ass on the padded pink seat, lift one foot on the pedal, push off, and then put the other foot on the pedal, and away we go. Aunt clamps down with all six feet on my shoulder. Okay, she says, I hope you know what you're doing. I'm sorry, my dear friend, but I have to disappoint you on that one. But so far, so good. As we pick up a little bit of speed, the breeze starts to tossle Aunt's antennae, and she holds up one arm or leg, whatever it is, to the wind, the way a kid does when they stick their arm out the car window to feel the pressure of the air, moving their hand up and down to feel it. Ah, she says. Nice, right? She nods. Now the road is tilting. It's a bit steeper now, going around corners, hairpinning around the trees and the rocks. I think we're heading down to a river, I say, and that's the way it looks. Now Ant is too busy enjoying this high-speed run. She's just grinning into the wind. Two legs, now three, up in the wind, feeling the solid pressure of it for the first time ever. What joy. Now I'm actually putting weight on the pedals to slow us down. And there it is, I see it, the bridge. Halfway across the bridge, we pull up the reins to bring our Schwinn horsey to a halt. Figuratively speaking, of course. We lean her up against the rail and we climb down off the little bike. What are you groaning about? Aunt asks. Listen, everything hurts, I say. Hive mind aside, I will let you know that I am amazingly older than you. It's okay if I groan. We take a peek over the rail to see the thin thread of water that appears and disappears under and around the rocks. It's just a trickle compared to what it used to be, but still a thrill to see any running water at all. We sit on the bridge with our back up against a post and we split a cup of water and share the last half of a power bar. I look on the other side of the bridge. Now for the gruesome part, I say. Up that hill. Gravity, Ant says, knowingly. We pack up, I'm at the side of the bike now, pushing it across the bridge and up the hill on the other side. Yep, gravity. But I want to say, Ant, with your weight, or I should actually say mass here, I'm afraid that you might not just fully understand what we're working with here in terms of the way things feel, in terms of gravity, I'm just saying. The road is starting to tilt up, it's fighting us, denying us. I mean, I continue. If I drop you, and not that I ever would, of course, if I drop you off the side of the bridge, you'd probably float down and land on a rock with a little bump, shake yourself off and go about your business of digging tunnels or carrying big boulders. But if I, and continues the conversation, were to drop you off the bridge, you'd land with a resounding splatter. And I would definitely not be carrying on with my important work, I add. 
I would be dead, in other words, ineffectual. And adds, incapacitated, severely, removed from service. I stopped to breathe for a bit. I'm huffing and puffing a little bit. So what you're saying is, it's a lot harder to push this bike uphill than it is to ride it down. I'm getting it now, Douglas, truly. You're like Carl Sagan. I'm too winded to ask the obvious question, so Ant answers it anyway. Yes, Douglas, the hive mind is well aware of and a great fan of Dr. Sagan. I'm just pushing and breathing at this point. Uh Uh-huh, that's about all I can contribute to the conversation. So, in the interim, she starts singing, If You Can Read My Mind, but not the Gordon Lightfoot version, the Johnny Cash version, which is, in my view, inexpressibly sad. But when Ant sings the Johnny Cash version, the sad one, it comes out, well, I think it's kind of funny. Why are you laughing? She asks, outraged. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just, I don't know, I'm sorry. I've got to stop. I'm panting, she's still pissed. So, sitting on a rock, we have another cup of water, half of a granola bar, a few crumbs on my knee for Ant. We kept that bottle cap we picked up back then. Well, we're too tired. Well, I'm too tired to talk. So we just sit and rest. Okay, back to the bike, back to the hill, onward. It's slow, it's a grind. Step by step by step. Uh Uh-huh. Step by step. There was a guy, Aunt says slowly as if she's trying to match the timing of her words with my huffing and puffing and each slow step. Uh Uh-huh, I agree. There was a guy. And he goes to his front door with his cup of coffee to get the newspaper every morning, Ant says. And today the guy sees a snail on his porch, right next to his paper, on his porch, leaving a slime trail right across the corner of his newspaper. The ant says. Ants hate snails, don't they? Indeed we do, Doug, but that's not material to the story at hand. You're sure? Yes, I'm sure, says the ant. So this guy picks up the snail and throws it out into the yard. Just casually, the way you might step on an ant. That statement is not material to the story, I say. You're right, I'm sorry, you guys and your big feet. I know you don't mean it. Some of you. I love ants, I say. I know you do, she says. Anyway, three years later, she continues. Exactly, I ask. Almost, she says. Okay, okay. So the snail comes back, and as the guy is bending down with his coffee to pick up the newspaper three years later, the snail yells, What was that all about? I'm too tired. I'm starting to wheeze to respond. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm actually having trouble breathing at all. Get it? The ant says. Get it? The snail. I get it. I wrote that joke. It's my joke. It is not. I stop in the middle of the road. I can't go any farther. Well, I say, I wrote a version of it. A better version. What? Of the snail joke? You're joking. So to speak. No, really, I say. It's way better. It's poignant. In my version... 
The guy and the snail do this over and over and over. As the guy's life slowly comes apart over many, many years, he keeps throwing the snail out in the yard and the snail keeps coming back. I take a few steps up the road. I stop to take a puff from my inhaler. And then at the end of the joke, the guy sits down with the snail and it, the snail, commiserates with the guy but also tells him he's got to get his shit together and maybe he ought to look into Sufism or something. The timing on this story is really important. Okay, Snail says, that's pretty good. What does the hive mind think, I ask. Don't mock the hive mind, she says. I'm not, I'm serious. We'll have to wait for a while. Things are moving really slow these days. Okay, I pant. We're nearly at the top, I think. Look, I think the hive mind is great, impressive, really. A bike is weaving back and forth. My head is hanging down. I'm practically drooling. I'm staring at my boots as I make one more step up the road. I'm not sure we can actually make it. And Ant says, Hey, look, the word gullible is carved into the rocks over there. I start to look up, and I hear the tiny sound of an ant laughing her head off. And it's just too much. I start laughing and coughing. I think I'm going to die. The bike stops while I try to compose myself. Now Ant crawls off my shoulder and starts down my arm. Hey, where are you going? I cough. I'm going to help, she says. Help what? Help push. I can't stand to see you like this. But don't tell me I'm too small, she says. You're too small. You'll get crushed, I say. She bites me on the forearm with her powerful mandibles. Ow! You don't know what we're capable of, she says. Let me down. I'm waving my arm up in the air to keep her from getting down to the ground. Let me down, you ass. I can help. She's waving her three legs, her arms, whatever they are, around on her antenna all over the place, and I can just can't take it. I fall over onto the bike and laugh and cough and huff and puff into my arm. After a few minutes, I can speak again, I say. Are you okay? I hear her tiny muffled voice. Could you, could you raise your arm a little bit? Thank you. I don't see the word gullible anywhere. Let me catch my breath. And when I say those words, I suddenly remember a lyric. A chicken in the pot, turkey in the corn. Ain't felt this good since Jubilee Morn. Talk about luck, well I got mine. Asthma coming down like the 309. Johnny Cash, Aunt says, wonderful. I forget the rest of the song, I say. Just rest, she says. Just rest. Thank you, I say. I know how difficult it is for an ant to say that. Thank you. You're welcome, my friend, she says. We eventually make it to the top of the hill where there's a wonderful vista point in a rest area. The sign says, no overnight camping. Bite me, I say. Ant says, why? Not you, it's just a figure of speech. We'll be staying here tonight even though the sign says we shouldn't. Calling it a day, right? Yep.
Intro music by Evan Lurie and Douglas Truth. Edited by Evan Lurie and Frank Kennedy. 2025, A Story from the Future. Written and performed by Douglas Truth. See us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Douglas Truth. Thank you very much for listening.